Hello, hello. Welcome to the Video Insiders Podcast. This is Carlos Pacheco. Oh, wait, it's only Carlos Pacheco. <laughs> Nothing too dramatic. Tom is very busy, and we wanted to record this podcast with Jonathan Wallbacker from Little Monster Media. He is the SVP of Strategy and Audience Development, and he's got a hell of a lot of experience in the space. He's been at many, many YouTube-centric uh, companies, very similar to Tom and I in terms of experience, almost 10 years of experience in the space. And we have an amazing conversation about what's happening on YouTube right now, shorts, <laughs> what's happening with shorts, and uh, Jonathan's predictions for the rest of the year, what's going to happen in 2021. So welcome to the show and let's get to it. And we're back <laughs> this time. I'm welcoming Jonathan Wahlbacker from Little Monster Media. Jonathan and I have not had the pleasure of knowing each other, but I've always been a fan of what Little Monster has been doing since the start. I remember very specifically five years ago, seeing the news about Matt starting a Little Monster at a job I was and saying, we should be doing this. <laughs> So I'm definitely a fan of the company and what you guys do. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, anytime. I'm honestly, like you have some serious cred, but I've never heard of you. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean like maybe, you know, I know there's a lot of people I've never sort of like, you know, learned about it. Every time I see people that have new connections, I realize, holy crap, they know all the same people I know. So tell me a little bit about, about yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, that's totally how this world works too. It's small. It seems like everyone knows everybody, but then you just lift up a rock and you're like, oh wait, there's this other group of people that are only like two friends removed from you that have been doing this for their entire career and are also really cool and interesting to talk to. So uh, it's always fun when we can uh, you know mix it up and and dis connect and discover all these different sides of the of the industry, but. Uh, yeah, I've been in the space for uh, over a decade now, uh, working in some sort of professional capacity in online video uh, since about 2008-ish. Uh, and then in, back in 2010, started uh, professionally making YouTube-specific content. Uh, and, uh, and really, it started there uh it was a it was a company where we did video game videos and there was like 20 of us and we were all basically kids uh, i think it was i was among the elder statesmen at like 20 you know 23 24 <laughs> in this group uh and uh and we did no one really knew any better but we were making how-to video games on youtube uh and uh and there were some really talented people some of which are still um immensely popular video game creators to this day uh and i just sort of looked around the room and said uh this is not a bunch of uh, people that I can, I want to compete with. I want to support these people. I want to, I want to help everyone understand how to generate viewership and generate audience. Cause that's the one thing that seemed to be the hardest to understand. Uh, so I spent my time and effort there focused on understanding the audience and how to generate, uh, viewership against ideas and how to study the analytics, uh, limited as they were back in 2010. Um, and, uh, and then after a year working at that company, I, I took a little, 
uh, sabbatical uh, hiatus from life. Uh, spent about six months back in New Orleans, just studying online video, you know, web series, platforms, all of the above, uh, as sort of my quote unquote bachelor's degree in online video, uh, and then came back to LA ready to make this the career was able to get in at Maker Studios uh, on their optimization team, which gave me a, uh, an insight into the back end of some of the biggest creators on the platform at that time. Uh, and I was, you know, just soaking up all the information, you know, looking at the likes of, you know, Ray William Johnson, who was number one on the platform at the time, uh, watching the rise of PewDiePie before he was able to take it over to number one, uh, and a bunch of other really cool uh, creators who had some interesting backend analytics. And so for a while, I was studying the back end of, of some of the top channels uh, for what I would I considered sort of my master's degree in the YouTube space. Um, and uh, and that's uh, once I felt comfortable there, I uh, went over to Collective Digital Studio, uh, which is now known as Studio 71, where I was able to build something, build a team uh, for them to help the creators uh, underneath that umbrella be better on the platform, then eventually take that knowledge that we learned uh, and cross over into more traditional entertainment entities and major brands and help them be better on the platform. We were able to... Uh, win the business to do uh, the first year of The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon when he transitioned from his uh, later uh, program to the actual Tonight Show. Uh, we did the first year's uh, strategy on uh, developing their YouTube. And, uh, you know, we you know, targeted it would take him two years to, you know, become number one amongst his peers. And we were able to do that in nine months because we were uh, really focused on you know, tactics, strategy, optimization um, that were endemic and native to the platform. The same stuff that we would give uh, advice-wise to Epic Mealtime or Retin Link, we were giving to the Fallon crew. Um, and uh, they were receptive enough to uh, to do enough changes that it not only worked, it worked really well. And it became a, a lot of the status quo for how a lot of the late night teams uh, tackle digital media, even to this day. Um, and, uh, and so that was a really great sort of nexus point for me where I've been now on both sides, the native traditional influencers and the uh, large scale uh, legacy entertainment companies. And I noticed and recognized that uh, the core uh, for both of these, if they want to build audiences on YouTube, uh, are really much the same. And the reality is that these we're not talking about two drastically different thought processes that you know uh, one might be favored over the other in the grand scheme of the algorithm. The reality is everyone just has their own uh, specifics, their own realities that you have to adjust for and adapt to. Um, but if you think about it in the same way for both, you're going to have the most total success. So that's what really sort of defined my perspective on audience growth in YouTube uh, strategy uh, and really all digital media strategy is, you know, come at it from the native platform perspective, um, but then embrace what is unique and special about you without treating it as separate from what's unique and special about everyone else. Um, and so from there, uh, the MCN game was sort of crumbling all around and you know, no one really wanted to, to continue to be in that sort of world. So uh, I jumped ship over to a comedy collective called Jash, 
um, which was founded by Sarah Silverman, Reggie Watts, Tim and Eric, and Michael Sarah, um, and did some really cool work in the comedy space for a couple of years. That group got bought up by Group Nine Media, which is a uh, publisher, digital publisher, uh, best known for the Dodo, Now This, um, Thrillist, Seeker, uh, and recently Pop Sugar. Uh, basically, a, a collaboration of, of really big brands uh you know with a lot of emphasis on facebook but on really all digital platforms um and i was able to see it from what was now a third point of view the publisher's point of view people who are professionals but don't have the scale of the pop culture zeitgeist that comes with being a big major entertainment entity um so they had to be scrappy like an independent creator but there were budgets and there were red tapes and there were realities associated with them being a publisher um and it just really codified and uh and underlined for me um the value of the of the perspective of of being endemic to the platform but really by this point in time understanding why of the platform like what is the what is the platform want and it's going to want the same thing no matter who you are what kind of content that you're putting out there so if you can understand the why for what the algorithm's doing for what the audience behavior uh, is all about you're going to be able to pull out the best strategies um and so uh spent a couple years at group nine uh got my fill of the publisher world uh, and that's when i joined uh, Matt Geelan over at Little Monster Media. Um, you know, Matt's been somebody I've known uh, in the industry for a long time. I've been following uh, with his work and, and friends with him since the Frederator days. And, and, uh, and then after when he started Little Monster, definitely something that's similar to you, Carlos. I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting, smart thing to go start and do. Uh, little did I know a few years later uh, that I would be joining that team <laughs> um and uh and it's been great uh, i've been there for uh basically two months before the lockdown started so you know, <laughs> a, a year and three or four months um it, it's kind of nuts but uh but it's been great and what's what i love about it is it's an opportunity to work with a lot of very eclectic different types of channels and and creators and individuals and companies uh and uh and really focus down on helping people be better on the platform you know some people want you know to really understand it and want to make the, their own strategies but they want our sort of support in uh helping you know validate and uh showcase uh you know where they might be going off the rails other people just want to hand us the keys and let us do all the work. Um, and what's really interesting and, and fun about it is, is going through and finding the unique ways to provide the most value to all of these partners uh, and build the biggest audiences. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, um, and really something uh, I look forward to continuing to, to sort of do as we move out of this sort of pandemic zone. And we can get back yeah. into a world of, you know, events and conferences and and other stuff like that. So uh, we can, you know, uh, you know, get back in the sort of collaborative uh, vibe that that's really the hallmark of what makes this business a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah, I have to admit, the last year has definitely cut back in the collaborative side of things. That's like an impressive sort of rundown of, of your career. And I see a lot of similarities in 
yours and mine, you know, in terms of like seeing, you know, the, the landscape from different perspectives, mine, mine slightly different in terms of I spent a lot of years in the world of marketing, buying media. So I definitely, you know, when I came to the world of content, I was like, I knew what the, the where the money was in a way where the money was coming from more than, you know, a little bit more in detail. And I also understood what, you know, a media buyer is thinking about when he's reaching out to a creator. So that, that was sort of like an interesting perspective. And, you know, to be honest, as myself, as somebody who was, who, who spent many years in advertising, one of the things they never teach you is how to build an audience and they don't teach you as well. They don't, you know, you don't learn about audience development. You don't learn about the, the, the business models that keeps uh, creators and, and media alive. You just care about the money you're trying to spend for the client uh, and get more of that. So that's sort of like a different perspective that I often come at when, uh, when talking to anybody in the industry. And a lot of companies, you know, sort of, you know, again, like the Maker Studios, the Collective, this is all companies I've had interactions with in the past. And I'm pretty sure we, you know, we walked across each other in certain, you know, without knowing uh, in a past in, in different conferences or even at your offices, because those are the offices I remember visiting uh, a few years back. So it's very cool that, you know. Uh, you've ended up at, uh, oh, you're currently at uh, Little Monster. We've got a lot of experience between you and me. Like we're basically the same amount of years working in the industry. You know, I want to hear your perspective on what's happening with YouTube. Like, it, you know, we're we're focusing on YouTube. YouTube is always sort of like a, I always feel like every three months we don't, like things are just like completely changed. Something new is happening and we need to think differently in terms of our content. But at the same time, I work with clients where slow and steady, you know, wins the, wins the race. They, you know, they just don't need to change too much. Whereas other creators need to be like on the pulse of what's happening on a platform. What are your thoughts on how, you know, the platforms evolved over the last, you know, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to say a specific amount of time, but you know, I would say the last couple of years, it feels like there's a lot of like evolution on the platform. You know, we're now, uh, you know, I want to bring up the, the question of shorts later, but like now shorts is a thing now. But, you know, anyways, I, I'll, I'll shut up. I just want to hear you talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's really insane how much uh, the platform changes and evolves and you know uh, goes through different uh, iterations of what matters what's the most important um but uh, but at the end of the day i think there's one core piece of commonality that always matters most and it's you know the more you can entertain an audience the more that you can engage an audience and make them want to come back to you or want to continue to click on your content you're probably going to be successful. You know, things mm -hmm. that are trends, things that uh, kind of ebb and flow, like, you know, certain video games that people that gamers play or certain formats or things like, you know, pranks used to be the most important thing <laughs> in the world uh, on YouTube. Uh, and, and thankfully, we've moved past that. Um, but the reality is, and evolution is very much the right word, you know, a lot of the mindset uh, and creative force that went behind some of the really big prank videos and and 
what was what in, what was inspired by those prank videos have really kind of turned into a lot of the stuff that's really popular today you know the the mr beasts of the world uh the mm-hmm. idea that the, that this content you know the, the value proposition of that content is that moment of surprise shock awe joy when you know you hand someone over a bunch of money like you know if you keep if you you trek that back words you know you go to people who were you know walking around handing homeless people hundred dollars and filming Mm -hmm. and and that was really icky because it was a part of that social experiment iteration which was a way for prank people to to feel like they were elevating themselves and then then it goes back to pranks and then it goes back to to like prank phone calls and trolling and it like it, it always iterates and it always grows and always moves in and out of style and fashion um and what i love about you know, being on youtube and having experienced so much time on the platform uh, is really watching the the different large-scale trends as they've come and go um you know i remember when family vlogging and mom's content (laughs) was not just healthy but like you could make a real business out of it and there's still some people that do but you know it's it's not quite the same uh as the where everyone and their mother had you know seven day a week family vlogs or Mm -hmm. you know the uh the collaboration of six or seven of these channels will bring their moms or their dads together. And it's like a daddy channel now. And it's, it, it, it's using a lot of the same elements of uh, collaboration and uh, an audience mobility. Uh, but for you, for an audience vertical that you wouldn't think to try to put two and two together. So, uh, so for me, it's, it's, it's watching these mechanics at play over mm-hmm. long periods of time. And while, you know, surface level, they might seem, very different um when you really break it down you know the mechanics are are often the same like if you studied any anyone that spent time at the as the most subscribed channel um and and you watch them over time you know you see a lot of the same kind of things that support you know the current most popular channels and and the reality is those people are going to you know uh trend downwards in terms of viewership and something else is going to come up and take its place um and I think that that's, you know, uh, another part of it too is, is the consistent lack of inconsistency, uh, or the only, <laughs> or the only thing that is permanent is the concept of impermanence. You know, like, yeah. th- there's nothing is like, if you don't like how the platform is at any given time, you know, hold your breath and wait 10 minutes and you you likely are going to be in a different zone. Um, and and people might be listening to this or 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 like when i go on to like clubhouse and stuff like that where you're you can end up talking to a lot of people that are maybe a lot more green in the space or younger in the space you know they look at the the people who are the most successful or the people that are the top of the niches and the verticals that they adhere to and 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 aspire to be a part of and it feels like that's like a mount rushmore or the most important thing in the world um Mm -hmm. but the longer you're in these platforms the more and more you realize that they're just moments of time and that you know to get the most out of uh out of it in any given time from like a studying and and uh and self-benefit point of view is just simply learning to answer the question why why are these why is this person popular why are people watching this content um and and oftentimes you know that answer isn't going to be like super simple and the kind of thing you can do on a multiple choice like it's more of a long form essay that you hated when your teachers assigned in high school um but but answering that for yourself is going to be the 
the key towards figuring out not just how to ride that momentum better, but also will allow you to retain parts of what makes it work once the larger spectrum of, of that vertical, that niche, that trend, or that individual creator uh, are sort of past their prime and, and the next big thing has come up to, to sort of wow the audiences and the, and the people along the way. Yeah, that's definitely what the platform has been over the last you know <laughs> couple of years. And I feel like I wanted to sort of bring out the, the conversation about like, you know, algorithm, you know, that's constantly the question that everybody's asking all the time. And I think in 2020, we were talking about, you know, audience satisfaction essentially was this sort of thing that YouTube created that, you know, was a mishmash of all the metrics together and saying like, is the, are people watching because they like your content or are they, you know, watching it, you know, again, it's, it's, it was never sort of a defined, uh, metric, uh, but you know, it, it was a, the way we saw it, uh, when I say we, as me and Tom, we sort of saw it as a combined combination of a bunch of metrics that would, you know, signal to YouTube as like that, you know, your, your content is worth watching and they'll recommend it more. Do you feel like that's still the priority w- with the platform? I mean, in, in generalities, uh, yeah, absolutely. Audience <laughs> satisfaction is, you know, the, the principal guiding point for what the algorithm does. Um, and uh, the reality is, though, like, it's it's crazy to think about how far the, the platform has sort of gone. You know, every mm-hmm. time they've iterated on an algorithm, it's been about, um, you know, how do we make the platform better for the users? Um, and it's gone from, you know, a focus on, you know, YouTube being the second largest search engine on the planet, and we're going to make it the best possible search engine. So no matter what, you know, you're putting into it, uh, you know, you're going to get something out of it that you love. And then, uh, then over time you realize, okay, this is a really gameable system and it's not actually giving us the best. So then we're going to put an algorithm around popularity and put that stuff on a homepage. Uh, and then, you know, you look up after six months and if, YouTube doesn't manually remove a bunch of videos, the whole homepage would just be Minecraft because, you know, the way that the, the, the different verticals work is that some work better for whatever factors that are playing into whatever algorithm is at the time. So then as they continue to get more and more sophisticated, it becomes less about the triggers and the elements that a creator can put into it. And it becomes more about audience behavior. And what's so great about that. And I love that that's where we are now with the platform um, is that it forces you to, to be better algorithmically into by thinking about things uh, outside of yourself. You know, the algorithm doesn't serve the creators of the content. It serves the watchers of the content. And so when you're thinking about what I should be doing from like an optimization standpoint or a packaging standpoint, you know, the, you, there isn't a like, here is the right way to do it. Here's X, Y, and Z go. Um, and, and what I love about that, even though it makes my job infinitely harder to not just have an easy answer to give to all the clients that come by. Um, uh, but it, it allows for and, uh, it really embraces the idea of the unique individuality of the, in, of the specific context of every creator. You know, every creator has their own 
unique fingerprint in terms of how they're interacting with the platform, whether it's, you know, their editing style or their tone of voice or their community management skills or uh, outside of platform stuff like their access, their friends. Do they have the ability to create content regularly or not? Like everyone has their own reality that, you know, there's maybe like a hundred questions and you answer it your own way and no one has exactly the same answer uh, sheet at the end of the day. And what's so exciting about that is it means that you're working on building an audience through the algorithm is less about here's the right way to do it and more about here are a thousand levers. We're going to start pulling the ones that we think matter the most based on your context, your reality, and your goals. And then every time we pull a lever, it gives us new information and then we have to kind of think about it all over again. Um, and you know, the, the opportunities that, uh, that I get to have where we have partners who give us a lot of, um, you know, leeway and control in terms of how we're thinking about the strategic approach to their, uh, their channels and their content, uh, are always the ones that are the most fulfilling because we can, uh, try to have a deeper understanding of what it is that the output is. And then the more we can understand the output, the better we're going to be able to uh, guide uh, sort of how we get input. And that input is audience and viewership. Um, so I, I'm really excited about you know, where the platforms are currently algorithmically because there's just such a dense menagerie of different equations and thought processes and, and algorithms that go into all of these different decision-making things and and we sit on the other side of that looking at results and and trying to figure out the the best way to do it and at the end of the day when you figure it out what's exciting about that is we didn't just figure out how to beat a machine we figured out how to really reach and talk to other human beings and that is the coolest thing about audience development particularly on platforms like this like it isn't about pulling eyeballs and and just getting you know a big number against uh you know a video window um like one of the things i hated about facebook uh, audience development is the focus on facebook is can you how many people can you get to watch the first five seconds of the video with no sound on you know to me those weren't views that was barely better than impressions um and the but the problem is they counted as such and so so many of the strategies were built around building that up you don't understand anything about your audience you don't build a relationship or a connection with your audience by having somebody look at something for five seconds with no sound on but on youtube if you can find out that okay the audience behavior dictates that most of your audience is watching from this traffic source in this way and that you're if you can increase your impressions by doing this amount of community management and uh and change and tweak your metadata so you can get slightly better performance on search you know we do all these little levers and then we start to see more traffic coming in from search and then that audience brings a different kind of connotation to the conversation in our community management which then increases our opportunity to to generate impressions, which then at the end of the day builds better views. Like understanding and knowing how to do that and working through that is is a is an exercise in tracking and understanding and uh, and then eventually guiding audience behavior, human being decision making on on a really deep and direct level. Uh, and and I think that that's what's uh, what sort of keeps me going, keeps the juices flowing 
you know, a decade into this, uh, uh, while it gets harder and harder every day to be able to, to know with just a series of best practices in the back of your head, how to do good on this platform. Um, but that challenge, uh, keeps it fresh and keeps it exciting. And the rewards for, for turning a corner on a, on a channel that maybe has been declining in viewership for three years and you're able to turn them around, uh, because you've, uh, you've reached their audience in a slightly different way, but a way that's more engaging and so then the algorithm wants to you know put it in front of another million people you know that those are the kind of things that are that have been amongst the most rewarding um in my career uh because it's truly earned and it's earned at a at a pace where the other end of the spectrum weren't duped into it you know they've expressed positivity in uh in their behavior uh which just creates a healthier interaction and environment for the for the creator in that audience and the platform you know sort of overall wow uh you've you've said a lot a lot of stuff i've agreed on what i really enjoyed is how you described the facebook stuff because that was like the bane of my existence of people trying to get get things going on facebook or why things are going or not doing on Facebook. And I hated how Facebook measured its views and all that sort of stuff. But you said it in a much more sort of eloquent way. The algorithm has evolved and uh, the audience has evolved. Uh, I'm constantly amazed at the different audiences I'm seeing across different channels because I too had many, many clients. I'll fully admit, I when I saw a Little Monster uh, launch, I was like, I need to do that in Canada. And right now I'm doing it, but more as a one-man show because I, I'm, I'm just hard-headed in that, in that perspective. One of the things that uh, I wanted to sort of like discuss is, is what's happening right now versus the algorithm. Because we're talking about like quality and, you know, how we're, we're making sure that, you know, we're reaching the audience the way it wants to reach and everything, every, essentially everything you said is basically on point. The one sort of like spanner in the works that I'm seeing these days is shorts. Because from my experience, it doesn't behave the same way as the algorithm does. And there's not a lot of thought process going through the content. It can be the most randomest thing in the world. And I'll give you my, my impression of it. When I look at shorts and I look at the content going quote unquote viral on it, it feels like YouTube night 2005. It feels like the original YouTube, I'm at the zoo, random video, hey, you got to watch this type of video. And then, you know, it goes viral. And that's my impression. And I don't have uh, a lot of, imp uh, you know, uh, experience with shorts right now. But I wanted to hear your thoughts on how, how it's going. Is it just like a crapshoot right now? Or is there, you know, sort of like a bigger algo per play the same way as TikTok. like you're not even logged in and it knows what what you should be watching <laughs> what are your thoughts on it i mean i'm not expecting you to have the answer but i was just like you know i want to talk about it for sure no i mean this is a you know anytime there's a sort of a new format on a platform like youtube uh it's intensely interesting to watch and see and understand and you know if youtube is supporting it heavy then you know it behooves everyone to if they're not on the the new tool immediately then at least be studying it watching it monitoring it and figuring out the right way for them to take advantage of it as it matures um i will say what's interesting and, and i love how we segued into this by also you calling out the facebook side of it um is you know it, it kind of goes back to short form video a, as a whole so you know i mean tiktok right now is the the sort of grand 
uh, dragon of all of them. Um, but the reality is, it's you know, it's been Vine, it's been Snapchat, it's been Musically, which is the the literal precursor to TikTok, uh, and uh, and a lot of other uh, activations along the way. Uh, and the reality is that the the structure of this short form video um, is much more akin to what Facebook was doing in terms of generating viewership and generating audience in as much as it's a, okay, we're going to have a feed type situation, or it's going to be a situation that's not about you searching stuff out per se, but about us just giving you stuff. And it's going to be bite size, easy to understand, easily swipe through. And then, you know, you're going to, your experience is about the overall, um, moment or time that you're on the platform, not necessarily the specific videos therein. Um, and uh, and what's interesting about that, I think that's really, really a, a, an interesting perspective to have. It's it's and it's very different um, than uh, an on-demand video uh, strategy mm-hmm. and plan and ecosystem. Um, and so one of the things that people talk about um, that I like to to always sort of like, oh well, however, let me tell you this. You insert myself into the conversation. Uh, is is TikTok uh, is no more the next big thing, or no more a direct competitor to um, to YouTube or Netflix or Disney? Uh, that uh, Twitter was a direct competitor to J.K. Rowling. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a completely different form. It, it, what it is, it's a new language that's us- utilizing the same structure of, uh, in this case, video and odd in you know audio video connected connectivity uh, and it's presenting it in a form that is new and fresh and exciting and it's valid. And and I don't want anyone to think that, you know, that I'm dismissing short form video and saying this, but what I'm saying is it's a new language for us to learn and understand. And they're and they're part of the reason why a lot of the younger generation takes so much to this, why it's always seemingly a younger generation that spearheads it out of adaptation of new, uh, formats and and ideations like this uh, is because they it's easier to be fluent when you're born into it and so you know a kid Mm -hmm. today who's got you know his first cell phone or his first ipad and you know what him and his friends are interested in connecting on you know tiktok's going to be the top of that list for them because that's part of the cultural zeitgeist of who they are at that at that their age at their time and their the rest of their generation and the generations ahead of them and so when they get on board with it they don't have to bust through any preconceived notions they just see it for what it is and then they can start to iterate on it cleanly, simply, and uh, efficiently. And that's what helps build all of this really interesting, really experimental and avant-garde content through that. So what I love about what YouTube is doing with shorts and taking that sort of structure is it's basically just bringing that new language of video to YouTube. And and you basically make making this claim that you know if youtube is going to be a repository for the entire spectrum of the video experience i mean you can watch feature-length films you can watch vr stuff you can watch yeah um you know even some interactive stuff literally anything that is a video centric uh, expression of uh, of an idea you can find a version of it on youtube so naturally if this new language of, of video is going to become a prevalent part of of a burgeoning generation then yes let's bring that to youtube as well and uh, and because it is brand new and because it is such a different style of uh of delivery like you can't just bring in shorts wholesale and and, cre- and put them in a 
in a video on demand situation like a regular channel um, because that's not the point of them. The point of them isn't like, oh, look at my short videos. It's, hey, I'm going to scroll through a bunch of shorts and like what's going to catch my attention? What's going to uh, send me down a rabbit hole? And if you're exceptionally good at what you do, then someone's going to follow you so they can keep seeing your content either directly by searching for or in their sort of generated feed. Uh, and that's where we get, I think, to the answer to your question, which is how is YouTube handling it from, you know, like a, a discoverability and, a, and an algorithmic perspective. Um, and to a small extent, they're handling it as simply as possible. The algorithms that dictate the short shelf population um, are not nearly as sophisticated as the algorithms for regular video content. Um, but they do exist. There is stuff on there that is making some back-end uh, calculations to present stuff to you based on the information that it has and your profile. Um, so it's not a complete shot in the dark, um, but it is much more um, based on the whims of the the where the biggest audience is in terms of their behavior and also the performance metrics of the stuff that works really really well uh and i think that as long as you're gonna see a lot of uh these lifestyle channels these vlog channels um some cooking channels have had an incredible success these places where you know there are large sticky enthusiastic audiences particularly those audiences that are likely you know younger millennials or, or gen z uh you're going to see an easier quicker adaptation onto the shorts format on the platform and necessarily more of that content's going to do better um than you know repurposing content from a channel that's been on youtube for 10 years um you know their audience you know isn't the target audience for shorts their uh content wasn't conceived that way and where i think there will be a future version of the shorts world that is going to be really um open for everyone and give people who have built audiences over a long period of time and an opportunity to succeed in that space uh i think that right now it's much more of uh, i don't want to say a crapshoot because nothing truly is random um, <laughs> but there's a lot more ebb and flow based on um unbalanced factors such as you know the the popularity of specific verticals specific creators um and uh, and just the the way that content plays next to each other uh you know those algorithms are just not sophisticated enough so they have to lean on more uh, overt and superficial connections like uh you know overall niches or similar talent or similar upload time or similar uh framing devices like like, like it's going to be looking at stuff like that more and more than oh you just watched this really funny short that used Space Jam audio, so and you liked it and watched it three times. So we're gonna find other things that have Space Jam. Like we're not there yet, so like we're not yeah. able to sort of like push through uh, in in a lot of the same ways that TikTok has got an incredibly sophisticated algorithm that can continue that conversation over and over again. Um, YouTube's gonna be a little more dependent on uh, the ebb and flow of of audience movement and behavior, uh, which is unfortunate 
unfortunately a little too dictated uh, by also just the general demographics of, of who's popular and, and who has the, the best opportunity to move audiences from one piece of content to the next. It's definitely a, an exciting sort of time. You know, we've been here in the business for like 10 years. Yes, it keeps changing, but sometimes it just feels a little bit repetitive. And I would say that shorts, shorts for me feels like, oh, this is something that is not as easily, you know, it's 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 much more of a sandbox than anything else and everybody's trying to figure it out and even though like the format is not new the early viners are probably the easier the ones that are you know the viners that kept going are probably the ones that you know really get it and as you said the younger generation that understand how to create that content are going to do extremely well and exactly like you said like anybody who's just repurposing content is just not going to hit anything that great or consistently as somebody who's you know uh creating content on a specifically for that format so I completely agree on that side of things but i love i love your perspective on how uh the algorithm uh the difference is the algorithm uh which is exactly sort of what i meant when i said like it feels like to you know youtube 2005 it's like the algorithm isn't just not as sophisticated and an, another way i sort of see it as well is over the years as youtube sort of like forced us or forced a creator to create content that's more and more elaborate in a way or more complicated uh i, I don't want to elaborate it's complicated same thing uh i just mean like highly produced content it feels like it, it created this whole this gap of like lesser produced content content that's a little bit more on the fly the vlogs that have sort of like disappeared over the years and i feel like this also gives another opportunity for that format to sort of like find a new home as well well but that's my sort of like ten thousand feet perspective of of how the how the the, sh the platform is evolving yeah i mean well i mean that's it's really you know astute in terms of you know the the kind of content that works you know at an earlier point in the lifespan of a platform um when mm -hmm. you kind of track things out you know a lot of the there's a lot of similarities there i mean like to be completely frank like cat videos were at the start <laughs> of, of literally every successful video platform including mm -hmm. film like edison yep. made cat videos you know so mm -hmm. it's like there's there's just some you know core things in the uh, it, just the reality of how humans interact and when we have the opportunity to like have some video like yeah there's gonna be a lot more just like put your phone up and shoot it kind of stuff um and mm -hmm. you know five years from now uh the same people that you know, just flip their phone up and started shooting stuff are going to be the first ones to figure out how do you tell a compelling narrative drama utilizing <laughs> the format. And that's going to come. Yeah. That's going to be so yep. cool to see. Um, but, uh, but what's interesting too, uh, and, and what I, what I love about pointing out the vlog sort of style and, and how it, it shorts right now is, is eerily reminiscent of YouTube uh, like six, seven years ago um, is, is part of what made those, those vlogs work is we always used to talk about, we still do to a degree, just in a different way, uh, authenticity being one of the biggest and most important things yes. in building an audience. And, uh, and and people used to think that that authenticity meant, oh, like you just got to be raw and real or you just got to be lo-fi. or you gotta be. It was, always, it was never that. It was always about you have to be able to authentically express an emotion. Um, and, and yes, most people, the best way for them to authentically express an emotion is to authentically express that emotion. 
But, you know, that's why, like, actors are good and talented and why not everyone can do it. Because part of the reason why they're what they do real well is authentically put that emotion into those performances. And it feels real when you watch it. And so you have that connection. And so, you know, as more and more, uh, you know, people you are... Uh, you know, coming into the space, uh, you can provide that authenticity while still having all the artifice of uh, of production value. Um, I mean, and that's why you look at you know the late night hosts, like the ones that really work and have the longevity of time, felt like a friend coming into your bed, your house at the end of every night to talk to you about the day's events. And that's a that's a type of authenticity that is you know not anyone can do. I mean, you, you Trevor Noah. It. A hundred percent. And like what he was able to bring to incredibly complex conversations, you know, you felt like you were like having a conversation about it as opposed to being told it, which was really valuable. And part of the reason why he works very well on the YouTube platform. So knowing that that authenticity isn't just about being quote unquote real, you know, what I love looking at shorts today um, is it, takes a lot of the same elements of those sort of free form unscripted vlogs um, but strips down to the most important part which is what's the emotionality of the, of the moment of the of the content you know is it is it humorous is it you know uh, is it shock and awe is it juxtaposition is it you know uh, you know, self-deprecation or you know, righteous anger like there's all these different emotional touch points and you know when you only have 60 seconds or less you know it forces you to ca- keep that emotionality front and center as the star of the show and partially the reason why short form content i think is is had so many iterations that have come and then failed but then came and then another version came back uh is because there's something innately raw and watchable and you know vortexable where you then watch 10 of them in a row when you when you wear that emotionality authentically on your sleeve and there's really nowhere else to wear an emo- that emotionality in 60 seconds you know if it's you know funny cat videos that you got to get to that punchline and you know is this cat going to do something dumb something evil something hilarious and it's going to be one of those things and once you understand what it is which is usually the first couple seconds you are now hooked to sort of watch it through and you don't have to expend a lot of time and effort to watch it through so you are more willing to commit to that process and then rinse repeat and you look up from your phone and you've been looking at tiktok for an hour and and i think that that's you know part of what's really cool about the short space right now um is is watching people instinctively do that like i don't believe like a lot of these people who are making super successful videos are thinking about the emotionality of their videos as they're you know, in a writer's <laughs> room trying to figure out the next 30 shorts that they're going to do this month. You some know, of them are. So, some of them are. And I'm, this is not a, not making absolutes here, but what's cool mm-hmm. to see is there are a lot of people that are, uh, that are becoming successful because they're finding ways to do it uh, through just raw instinct and that, uh, and that fluency in this new language of video um, that uh, that's just, you know, it's really inspiring to see because it makes it makes me want to get in there and and strategize some short stuff and and I've been able to dabble with a couple channels but really most of it's been repurposed and it doesn't really work as we've already discussed so you yeah. know how do we experiment and how do we you know uh, cajole a, a creator that's been around since the pre maker days to get in to get on board with uh, mm-hmm. creating social media shorts um, you know in 2021 uh, and you know that's part of the challenge 
challenge of uh of of like what we do and so you know it's it, knowing that this is now going to be a part of how we interact with uh you know, talent and anyone that wants to build an audience and, and is searching for that expertise, you know, is it's like opening up a, you know, a, a new chapter in a book that you've read a hundred times and you're realizing that there's a whole new chapter now that you get to read and study and digest and take in. Uh, is It's it's really, it's, it's cool and exciting um, really all the time. Um, and I think that's why YouTube never gets old, even though I'm getting older yep. and, the, and some of the creators <laughs> are starting to get old. Join the, the club, man. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the it doesn't feel any less new and and wild west and exciting. Yep. And anything is possible now than it did in 2010, because uh, because as much as stuff has changed, as much as stuff got, has sophisticated and matured and become a business first and foremost, it's still features that bleeding edge of the interaction between a storyteller a content creator and, a, and an audience member a viewer and you know as long as that bleeding edge is 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 raw and new and experimental which it necessarily should always be with a platform like youtube um, then there's always going to be something new and interesting and exciting to have this kind of conversation about you know really every couple of years something goes, comes around and it just re-enthuses uh you know the part of me that's like all right cool let's let's figure this out let's win this let's let's make people you know connect with real audiences using using these tools um and uh and yeah seeing seeing how that works over time and uh and then once that feels comfortable and good something new will happen and something new will come around and we'll get to sink our teeth into that definitely it's going to be uh i'm still waiting for a youtube youtube podcasts because <laughs> you know it's going to happen. I mean, uh, it, it, especially once it gets to the point where you know the video podcast becomes the the more the norm to the audio podcast, then then one hundred percent you're right. Because it's what, what we said earlier is the it, YouTube is the repository for any type of, of visual medium, essentially. Yeah. And so, you know, once something becomes the the the, the more important way to express uh, in a medium and it's visual and video based in its in its fr forefront, then absolutely, you know, YouTube will come up with the podcast corner and it'll be like subscriptions mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, it'll easier to play without, you know, losing your spot kind of stuff. Or maybe they'll introduce bookmarks uh and maybe yep. it, then audiobooks become a big thing like these are like these are all these weird little corners that i'm sure someone working at youtube is listening to this being like that's my pet project don't talk about it yet I've <laughs> it for two years uh but like it, it's it's what's cool is is what reveals itself over time and and what we can then get excited about yeah considering considering how google, an amazing job google has done at podcast support over the last many years uh, uh i won't hold my breath too long i did you know <laughs> on that one this was an awesome conversation uh, let's talk a little bit about L little monster L give me something that's like you guys are working on other than like obviously managing client channels and all sorts of i know that's the bread and butter of the company but you know recently uh i don't remember what time but you know uh you launched uh monster thumbnails is it last year uh yeah monster thumbnails launched um uh, sort of right at the top of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And I've yet to try it, but I've had a couple of clients start asking me about thumbnails and I'm, like I said, a one man machine. So, uh, I can't, you know, manage, uh, big channels with uh, lots of thumbnail news. Tell me a little bit about what that does. What, what's the service? 
Yeah. So monster thumbnails was an idea uh, that that Matt wanted to bring to bear uh, for really exactly kind of what you um, were talking about in terms of you know there's a lot of need in the in the space for people to execute on thumbnails, um, and you know we have the knowledge on what makes a good thumbnail. Um, uh, so what is uh, what is the next iteration of that, and that's let's do it for people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that you know the timing with the pandemic you know, is, is not wonderful. Starting something new in, in the beginning of 2020 uh, is going to mm-hmm. turn back as one of those just cosmic irony things when you, when you're looking back at things. Um, so you know, it's uh, it's something that m- our focus is is a little less on that these days uh and more about just you know because again the core value of of understanding stuff and, and how we can give people value uh is understanding why to do things so so we still mm-hmm. do it and, and if you go to our, our website there's um you know information against it but uh but we we like we're trying to focus more on um partnerships uh with people who want to sort of be better in a macro on, on the platform mm-hmm. and uh, and understand you know through you know uh, production services uh, strategy services channel management services packaging services you know like what what are the ways that we could put uh, you know something together for for our partners that you know maximizes what value they can get out of it and, uh, and and allows us to to focus on the areas that can be most impactful and when you focus on them that way sort of by like effort type um then it also allow you to experiment more or or put forward uh, ideas for experimentation that might be eas- more easily executable um you know than if you were just sort of like let's have a general strategy partnership with the thumbnails little sidebar and like w- you can focus on that but then it makes it more difficult if you want to say well what if you started to do compilations on your channel and you know we have an idea for what might be able to generate more viewership for you um and, uh, and and we can have those conversations, but if we are already in a um, a situation where we're doing production work for you, then you know it's a it's an easier bridge to cross. So I think the uh, the the core of that is you know uh, we get the most valued success out of partnerships that are very specific to the needs of the of the client, um, and uh, and so I think that that's where we're sort of at more of a focus, but. I will say this about the monster thumbnails uh, sort of initiative uh, is, you know, being able to work on a just crazy amount of thumbnails over the course of the time that we've been doing it Um, and seeing a lot of the differences between, um, you know, different verticals, different genres, different, you know, channel types, new channels, long-term channels, corporate channels, independent channels, uh, you know, really underlines and helps put the proper emphasis on the the different elements of thumbnails that work. Um, so, you know, it, it, it really makes us much more confident and, and in my personal opinion, uh, you know, stronger in our strategic uh, sort of perspective on how we package content um, that, you uh, than we were if we weren't sort of doing that on the ground work. So, uh, you know, it's really cool. And that's part of what I think I love most about little monster is, you know, when there's these sort of initiatives, you know, they're not just ideas, you know, if, if enough, if the right people in the company are like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Or let's put this together. Let's offer this as a service. We just do it. 
and we try it and we find clients against it and you know uh, whether or not it becomes a long-standing long-term thing that we do forever for always or something that we you know ramp up for a year and then sort of settle in on a set of clients and kind of just do it on the side there on out like it like that's not the victory there the victory there is is a is a greater institutional knowledge for how best how to be best at the these different executions and uh and that's where i think uh, monster thumbnails has been super valuable to the uh little monster experiences uh you know we have uh strategists and channel managers and even like account managers now who have immense thumbnail experience which just makes mm-hmm. them better at talking about that with with all of our other clients and all the other sort of you know, project initiatives that we do moving forward awesome yeah the thumbnail situation you know a, again understand completely understanding the whole launching uh <laughs> during the, la- the pretty much the onset of a pandemic as my wife went through the same the thing is my wife is an entrepreneur and launched a project uh pretty much march 2020 so i totally understand the, the struggle over the last year of sort of like doing something new but i think it's still a, a much needed service for quite a niche a niche amount of clients or any kind of uh, i mean a lot of clients on youtube because it's a time suck for everybody and everybody every single time i've managed youtube you know channels for for brands or or creators it's too much of a hard lift to get anything really really done so having an outside service that has that uh, inherent knowledge is 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 valuable so i hope you know you guys uh keep that going other than like being a complete you know basically my enemy uh, <laughs> you, you do, you do essentially what I do, except in much more sophisticated way, but all kidding aside, what are your thoughts for the rest of 2021? I mean, 2020 was a hard year to predict. Everybody was sort of like, oh, you know, uh, you know, views went up, views went down, you know, whatever, like, again, I, ha- I have a, an eclectic view of a bunch of channels and I try not to take it all, you know, say this is what's happening, but you know. I'll give you my sort of like, you know, tinfoil hat prediction. I think like, you know, there's a little bit of a semi slowdown across the industry as everybody just wants to get the F out (laughs) of staying home. Uh, And that's my sort of like grand, you know, doesn't make any sense strategy because I know there's other things happening. But is there anything that you're thinking like, ah, this is, you know, YouTube's going to just chug along and, you know, things will be, you know, We'll have the same conversation in 2021, in 20, oh, it's, it's 2021, in 2022. What are years? Yeah, I do totally think that 2021 is going to kind of be just like a, you know, get back to normal kind of year uh, a little yeah. bit, uh, especially with a lot of, ch- I mean, like, like there's going to be a whole run over the next like three to four months of channels getting boosted uh you know attention and viewership by simply being back in a studio you know like Mm -hmm. there's just very time specific uh elements uh that we just have to naturally progress through that are going to kind of be uh specifically relevant um but not long-term relevant uh that we're going to navigate through um but one prediction and this is kind of going a little out of left field from i think exactly how you were asking um but it's just something that i feel very passionate like we're 
on the doorsteps of, and I think that someone's going to do it. Uh, and since I don't work for a big major streaming corporation, I'm just going to say it out loud in as many public f- places I can to hopefully <laughs> inspire one of them to go and do it because I just selfishly want to see it myself in action. Um, but I think that there is just an absolute goldmine of content, of legacy library content that is associated with uh, major important IPs that are the tent poles of a bunch of these streaming platforms. Um, so, like the example I always give, uh, so why alter it now? Uh, you know, HBO Max uh, is part of Warner Brothers, um, whoever their parent company is going to be in the next year be damned but uh <laughs> there is uh they are warner brothers still and uh and one of the biggest pieces of ip that they own and operate is harry potter and they have the eight film harry potter series uh the fantastic beast stuff um and then not a ton of other ancillary stuff but you know that's where they're sort of sitting at and hbo max launches and you know all the harry potter movies in one place was part of their cell and then like a month later uh, Peacock ended up uh, having contractual rights to play the Harry Potter movies. Mm-hmm. So it had to come off HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what became this sort of, you know, celebrated like here, you know, Harry Potter, this is its home, um, became a point of confusion, um, you know, because shortly after that camp, part of that campaign was run, it was no longer the home for it for at least like two years or something like that. Um, but it also, just sort of created uh, a, a kind of a white space, this dead space on the platform where, you know, when the Harry Potter movies are there, you can have a wizarding world of Harry Potter section with all of these big premium important movies. And then when those movies are gone, there's just kind of nothing there. So what if, and, 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 and again, not even an if, uh, what when uh, someone realizes that if you want to, if like if a goal for a streamer is to keep people on the streaming platform and to watch as many minutes as possible and then to stay subscribed, like, like the, these are the core raw back of napkin goals that like an HBO Max or Disney Plus is going to have. Subscribe, stay on, watch lots of things. The end. So if, if those are the goals, why not build a destination a a wizarding world of harry potter destination that yes the movies will be the tentpole but the individual assets that can fill it and maybe it's 10 different ones that are rotated on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis go license you know excellent fan-made content that utilizes that ip and put that on that service and and celebrate that as a like here's the fan voice or here's your perspective or just here's some other cool pieces of content that you're gonna like and you know maybe it's a video essay about how you know prisoner of azkaban was you know the a, a defining pivot point for the whole franchise because of how it changed artistic direction or maybe it's a french horn solo cover of Hedwig's theme. You know, like mm-hmm. this is a kind of okay. weird kooky stuff that's on YouTube. I get what you're going with. Okay. Yeah. It, was, it took me a while to sort of like figure it out, but I was like, okay, I get it. Because, yeah. you know, I, I would totally watch, you know, like uh, uh, Lindsay Ellis do you know essay of each movie I watch after I watch. And then if you can create a channel that mixes both your, your IP and, user created content, but all within that same theme. I think that's an epic sort of like a uh, opportunity 
Yeah. Is that is that what what you're trying to say here? Pretty much, yeah. And the idea yeah. is create a feedback loop between mm-hmm. the owners of the IP, the the fans who are passionately creating this content, and and the you know influencers in the middle who are you know both fan and content creator, um, and and make it not a like arm's length separate thing, but make it part of what it means to care about this IP and and the experience of it. And so then what the the owner of the ip will be doing is licensing content so they're paying yep. creators for their work which is like the holy grail of work for great like if you yep. tell a content creator like here there's six videos in your library that you know peacock would like to license from you for whatever that fee is and they want to put it next to content like dreamworks content on peacock um you know that's that's content that's not generating any more revenue for that creator that's you know it, it's in the past it's probably barely even generating views anymore and so the fact that they're finally going to have a, they would finally have an opportunity to earn some secondary tertiary licensing revenue which is how stuff like you know it's the same real uh processes like friends you know however many millions of dollars or billions or whatever they paid for the exclusive uh, license for friends you know, think about that but obviously at a comparable scale but you know if you were to to go to a you know a, a video essayist and you know put a package together to license a bunch of their old work uh to put it up against you know the, this content so the the creator is getting paid the creator is getting exposure to new audience the the owner of the ip is getting a destination out of it and they're getting uh a, a reason for people to be on the platform longer even if they've lost the contract to the principal ip you know if if you set up that wizarding world and you didn't have harry potter for another year you could still get people to click on that little corner of, of hbo max if you're constantly updating it with this cool stuff like that it's, and then when it does come back now everyone's going to to celebrate that the wizarding world is now complete and you can kind of move forward with it from there so and then the audience is going to get the value because if they've seen it on youtube um you might not click that specific video but if but if you're talking about a real eclectic amount of content that you're putting in there it's very unlikely that anyone has seen all of it so the audience is going to get exposed to new content creators who they can then go find and fall in love with in their native platform so it's just one of those things where everyone can win and uh, and when everyone can win i think that it becomes a a, a no-brainer and i think it's something that uh I, I i truly think we'll see someone figure out and crack the code of i mean we're already starting to see some signs of this disney uh licensed some movie theater reaction footage from avengers endgame to put in a major played in front of theaters uh trailer for the marvel uh slate that's coming out over the next few years um you know you're seeing some streamers put special features in in special like zoom talking head interview sessions uh in adjacent to movies on the streaming platform so I, I think that all these things are the the early signs and portents that uh that there can be uh that the movies and the tv shows are could just be the tip of the iceberg for the valuable content that you could be you could find on a streamer uh and uh and, and by having it be a process of of licensing content for that space uh you know it basically becomes a, a, a revenue stream and a, uh, a an audience stream and, and you can build an endearing audience perspective by not being a soulless corporation that only cares about money but actually <laughs> respecting and understanding what fans care about with the process all at the same time 
making more money than they're spending in the process. So uh, that that to me is a future. Probably not 2021, but you know, you ask what I see on the horizon yep. and related to YouTube. That's that's my go-to answer. Well, I mean, good luck finding a company, a soulless company that's not just focused on <laughs> profits. Uh, but uh, I think that will come from a creator more than a, a media company. The funny part is that there's so many layers of what you're talking about that I've sort of like seen pieces of. Right. It's, uh, you know, channels that want UGC content to some people to submit UGC content. And I, I get, I, I don't know how many clients that have like, you know, their big YouTube channel and they're like, Oh, fans will make content for us. And I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. And, uh, you know, and then at the same time, what you're talking about reminds me a little bit of the world of linear TV of just like, Oh, we're just going to buy a bunch of, we're, we're going to create a reality chat, a reality, you know, a home renovation channel. We're just going to go buy a bunch of different shows across different producers, put it into one channel and then we'll own that vertical type of situation. Right. So, but this is much more in a social level, uh, IP level type of situation that, you know, I think is very YouTube-y. Uh, again, you know, finding the perfect IP for that, there's not a lot of them, but uh, I do agree that it's it's just waiting in the wings to happen. So yeah. it's it's a good one. It's a good one. Kudos on that one. Warner Brothers just did a thing with Rooster Teeth where they're producing like a completely like YouTube generated, you know, essentially like a podcast show um, with YouTube talent, but on Warner Brothers proper youtube channel so it's it's that same sort of thing where it's like the bleeding edge and uh and and just like the little bow on top of it is it's not about finding the soulless corporation that doesn't want to make money it's about the messaging and the value that you present as a corporation to not look soulless and just out for the money when you're (laughs) providing that because the reality is the only reason this will work is it will make more money for the corporation you know it's 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 like the streaming wars is the is the most important thing in media right now and you know the whether it's hbo max peacock whatever discoveries warner media's thing is if that's hbo max or something new disney plus all of the above one of them is going to figure this out first and then they're going to be a true differentiator amongst the other streamers which is going to bring audiences to the streamer which at the end of the day that's what keeps executives in their seats for years and mm-hmm. years to come and so to me that's the linchpin of all of this is you know how do you how do you figure that piece out but um but yeah i mean we're just pipe dreaming right now so uh we'll, exactly i'll, I'll put okay. the pipe away and and i'll uh i'll deal with it later when uh, when i'm not being on the <laughs> podcast <laughs> oh good oh good well Thanks a lot. This was an amazing conversation. You're the perfect uh, podcast guest because, you know, you have a lot to say and a lot of insight in the space. So it's really, it was really great to hear uh, all your insights on everything uh, on, on, the, on the landscape. Where's, uh, what's the best place for people to, to find you? Uh, yeah, and first of all, I will direct quote you um, that I am the oh. perfect podcast guest. Uh, it'll be on the, <laughs> the poster for who I am. Really, uh, my social medias, uh, J-W-W-A-L-L-E, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, you know, I, From time to time, I'm on there. LinkedIn, uh, you know, just put in my proper name. Um, I'll drop uh, nuggets uh, from time to time over there. Um, and then I am doing more and more stuff on Clubhouse. Um, we're going to find that that is a, a fun uh, opportunity. And actually, Little Monster does a, we have a club set up there where every Friday at three o'clock Pacific time, we either do like an office hours, a panel conversation, or, or just a, a general like 
two people talking not too dissimilar from this, um, but in a live clubhouse environment where people can come in and answer questions and it's, you know, of its moment and not recorded so people can be, you know, uh, you know, more, uh, a little more loosey goosey. And uh, I think the last Friday uh, was the evidence of that. We did a uh, uh, YouTube hot takes office hours where we just talked about you know people's favorite youtube hot takes and and had them sort of defend them uh against people with uh with curious looks on their eyes i'm sure not that we would know because that's audio, <laughs> audio thing, but, uh yeah. yeah so that would be those would be the best places and you know little monster media uh is on all of the traditional social services um we've got a really fantastic uh team working on creating content in there that'll be both uh news and uh and informational so if you care about the platform if you want to be in the know uh, we'll discuss topics and stuff like that um but then there's also our youtube channel where you know we just talk about different specific topics uh, and one of the real big key um, uh, ethoses of that that me and Matt share and really is kind of in the whole little monster experience is that there's no such thing as proprietary information in our world. Uh, it's mm. that the more that we can share, the more that we know and we learn and, and we can give that knowledge to as many people as possible, the better the industry is and the more we can focus on pushing the boundaries, experimenting and finding new and better ways to do stuff. So, you know, you'll, you, you'll never find uh, on any of our socials or in any of the things that, that we do uh, is, uh, is a sort of like a buy my book here. I'm going to give you one thing and three more things are locked behind this paywall. Uh, you know, our perspective is like, let's get everyone good and excited about it. Like we'll, we'll obviously protect uh, proprietary information from clients and we're not going to just go and share their data with the world, but we will, uh, if we learn something, if it's a part of how we do something, we're, we're going to talk about it. We're going to share it with as many people that are willing to listen um, because that's how we believe that the whole industry gets better uh, is if we continually share and learn knowledge because that's that we learn from people too. And so we want to always be, paying it forward perfect yes little monsters social channels have been very valuable over the years so definitely definitely put those all those links in the show notes uh when this goes live thank you very much wally for being on the show you know giving us all your insights have yourselves a great summer obviously absolutely thanks for having me Carlos. this was a blast Once again, thank you very much to Jonathan for coming on the show. That was a hell of a lot of information. I was taking notes because, you know, Jonathan just said things that, you know, knock around in my brain that I can't spit out sometimes. And it just, it all made sense. One of the things that you might be wondering is like, what's happening with the show? To be honest, Tom and I are just like busy. <laughs> we got a lot of clients to juggle and mandates and the podcast thing sort of like felt a little bit like, okay, you know, what are we going to talk about other than news about YouTube all the time? So we decided to just, you know, make a podcast episode when we feel like it. Obviously, we're not, you know, I'm not looking to be a podcast superstar here. So I just want to give information and insights on the stuff we do behind the scenes. So for the time being, it's not going to be a very regular schedule. We're going to pop in once in a while. I'm hoping we can bring it back to at least once a month, but we'll see how that goes. But if you enjoyed the show, uh, we are seeing a consistent amount of downloads, which is pretty impressive. Uh, I guess the content's still valuable. So thank you very much to everybody who, to new people who are listening. Hopefully we'll see you on the next one.